Well, good morning. My name is Jared Irvine. I'm the pastor of Junior High Ministries. And this is definitely not junior high. And uh, I'm up here this morning because our dear Pastor John had some pretty serious neck surgery. And he's doing quite well. And he would also like to pass on to you to just a big thank you for everyone who prayed for him, encouraged him. Uh, he, loves, he loves you all. And uh, just keep praying for him as he's in his recovery. But we are praising God that his surgery was very good and he's doing well. So uh, this morning, we're obviously in the Christmas season, right? Pretty amazing stage. And, um, but we're going to look at the question of why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago in a foreign land? Why is that important to us in 21st century modern living? Why is that relevant? Why do we keep celebrating that? Well, of course, this baby, and the title of this series is What Child Is This? Well, the child is Jesus. And do we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he was some really wise teacher? But why don't we, you know, celebrate the birth of Socrates or Plato, Aristotle, people like that? I mean, there's been a lot of wise teachers in the history of humanity. Uh, why? Maybe it's because he's a very important historical figure. I mean, our entire timeline is built on the birth of Jesus. They might have got it wrong. I mean, he was probably born like 5 BC, but the year zero was the birth of Jesus. So he has had a profound effect. I mean, even the year 2021 is because of his birth. Profound impact on our civilization. Is that why we celebrate his birth? Maybe it's because, you know, he was this great miracle worker and he started this movement and we're all part of that. But it's much more than just a founder of the movement of some sort. See, Jesus is, yeah, he might, he is a wise teacher. He is an important historical figure. He is a miracle worker and a movement starter. But he's much more than that. And we celebrate Christmas for the much more part of it. See, Jesus is the incarnation of God. He's the incarnation of God. It's a huge Idea and term and amazing reality is that God became human. He took up a human nature. We just prayed or sang in that song, praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our God is triune, means three persons in one God. And the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, took up a human nature and was born 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus. And we celebrate that amazing fact because God actually became human. An amazing miracle. Jesus is an extraordinary person. There is no one else like him and no one else will be like him. He is the God-man, fully God and fully human. An amazing, an amazing person. That's why we celebrate this. This is a huge Thing. And the next question you might ask, well, why did God become human? I mean, that's an amazing thing, but what was the purpose of it? 
Why would he feel the need to take up a human nature, dwell among us, have, you know, 30-something years? What, what was the point of all of that? And that's the question we're actually going to answer this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at four kind of explanatory co- uh, statements of Jesus that are throughout the Gospels. And so there are four weeks of Advent, which we're in that right now, which means Jesus coming. And so we look at the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas as Advent. And there's also four Gospels. So what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at an explanatory statement of Jesus in each of the four Gospels. So something like Jesus says, I came to do this. I came to do that. And so that gives us an idea about what Jesus is, like, why Jesus? Why did he come? What's the purpose of the incarnation? And so he, he will give some explanatory statements of this is why God became human. So our main point this morning, before we look at the four Gospels, is God became human to save us from sin and unite us to himself, and this is because of love. So I hope you, uh, your, your thumbs are nimble, because we will be flipping through pages here. We're going to be looking at four Gospels, and we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. And uh, if you have the little note sheet, it will tell you the road that we're going, which Gospels. We are not going Obviously, we're starting with Mark, but we're not going Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in that order. So, Mark 138, the fill in the blank is Jesus came to preach the good news. Jesus came to preach the good news. So, in this passage, Jesus gets up very early. He goes and he prays to his father. And people are looking for him. They want to know where he's at. And so, the disciples go looking for him. And they find him. They find him praying. And Peter says this. He says, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus' response was this. He said, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. So Jesus, he, his ministry was an itinerant preacher. He went around proclaiming something, which we'll, we'll look at that in a bit about what he's actually proclaiming. But he didn't just stay in one little city. He didn't just stay in Capernaum or Nazareth or whatever. He traveled around. And his purpose was that he's coming to proclaim something. He's here to preach. Okay, Jesus, what did you come to preach? What were you talking about? Well, Mark leaves us in no suspense. In fact, he's, they've already told us. If you're reading from the beginning, he's already told you what Jesus is preaching about. It's the, actually the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It's the first, if you have a red-letter Bible, first thing in red. Very important. This is what Jesus, the very general content of what he's preaching about. So we're going to be reading Mark 1, 14 and 15. This is what he came to preach. It says, now after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The word also can mean good news. So proclaiming the good news of God. Okay, what is that? 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus is traveling around preaching. That's what he's proclaiming. So there's three, there's at least three parts. So the first part is the time is fulfilled. So what he's saying here is these Jewish people have been waiting, have been anticipating, have been hoping and praying that every promise that God made and what we call the Old Testament is going to come true. So people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Micah, and we'll look at these next week. They made these glorious, glorious pictures of when God brings his kingdom through this person called the Messiah, this great coming king. And the people have been waiting. They've been longing. They've been praying and pleading, when is God going to fulfill his promises that he gave? And imagine you're in Galilee. You've been waiting. You've been longing for this. And Jesus is traveling around, and this is what he's saying. The time that you've all been praying for and waiting for and hoping for is here. It's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what they're longing for. That's what they're praying for. And Jesus is saying, it's arrived because the king is here. King Jesus is on the scene and he's proclaiming that very thing. And then there is a response to it. And each of us, if you're hearing these words this morning, each of us, Hear the words of Jesus. He's still proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. He is the king. He reigns. He's ascended to the right hand of God. He is all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He is the reigning king. And we still have to make a response to him and his kingdom today. And the response is to repent and believe in that gospel and that good news that the kingdom of God is here. Repent, which means turn away from everything that you think about the world, everything that you think is right or whatever, whatever allegiances you have. Turn from those and believe, which means put your faith, your allegiance, your trust, your hope in him. That's what Jesus is commanding us all. He is the king. So what is our response to him? And that's what he's traveling around proclaiming in Galilee. And that's what he actually does today through us. And Jesus is, is displaying the kingdom. There's miracle after miracle after miracle in the Gospels. And you're like, okay, so he has a lot of power. What is the, the point of that is to display what the kingdom of God is like. That our world, ever since our first father and mother fell into sin, has been broken, shattered, been marred by sin. And there's a lot of effects of sin. And Jesus came to undo, to remove those scars of sin and to show that healing, restoration, and life itself is found in him and his kingdom. That we live in a world of death. We live in a world of death. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of life. And Jesus came to display the power of the kingdom of God to say, not only am I going to preach it and proclaim it, I'm going to display it. I'm going to show it. 
And that's what he does in the Gospels, is to show this is what his kingdom is. It's a kingdom of life, healing, restoration, forgiveness. And that's good news, because we live in a world of death. And human empires, human kings, human presidents, human institutions, they're dying. They won't last. But God's kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is where true life is truly found. And so this Christmas, you know, don't get caught up in the distraction of these earthly kingdoms and promises when they won't fulfill it. But only Jesus and his kingdom. That's where life is truly found. That's the good news. So we're going to move, like I said, nimble fingers. We're going to move along to to Luke 19. This is the setting of the story of Zacchaeus, that short guy who climbed into a tree. And he was a man who was desperate. He was desperate. In that that culture, a man like that is not going to climb into a tree. And Jesus is an amazing person of observation, and he always observes the things that everyone would miss. So everyone's like crowding, he's traveling, and people are crowding in on him, and yet I would be focused on what's in my face. He sees a guy in a tree, and he doesn't just see him, he points him out, he calls him out, he calls him down and says, I'm going to eat with you today. Let's go to your house, let's have a meal. Highly controversial. Why? Because Zacchaeus is a known sinner. He's a notorious sinner. He is a tax collector, which means not only did he work for Rome, which was the enemy, but also he would steal money. That's how he made a living. He would add on a couple, you know, whatever, to steal some money. And we know he defrauded people because he says it when he repents, that he took money from people and he's going to pay it back. But Jesus is going to have a meal with him, which in that culture, to have a meal, to share a meal, to have this thing called table fellowship, is to accept them. But religious leaders think that's wrong, that Jesus should not be sharing a table with a man like that, that this person has disqualified himself from sharing a table at the kingdom of God. He shouldn't belong in it. But Jesus disagrees, and he says it in his his purpose statement. This is the kind of people that he came for. As he says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the kind of person Jesus came for. The ones that were disqualified, the ones that could not enter and to be invited to the kingdom of God. He's invited them to have a seat and yet, They think he he doesn't belong. Well, of course he doesn't belong. But none of us belong at that table. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Zacchaeus is, is really just like me and you. He was born in sin. He participated in sin. Just like each one of us. But the good news is that that doesn't disqualify us from sitting at the table from sitting at the kingdom of God because Jesus invites him. And that gracious invitation is first. 
that gracious invitation to come. And then what does it do to Zacchaeus? Because don't miss that. Remember when Mark, in Mark 1.15, he says to repent and believe. Well, that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. When he gets that gracious invitation, what does Zacchaeus do? He repents. He says, you know what? I'm going to give half my money to the poor and everyone that I defrauded, I'm going to pay fourfold. He's not just going to pay him back. He's going to add on four times. It's an amazing act of repentance. And Jesus says in response to that, today salvation has come to this house. That Zacchaeus is someone that Jesus came for. He came for people like him, people like us, who would be disqualified on our own merits. But the good news of the kingdom of God is he came to seek and to save even those who were gone astray from him. That he came to bring us back into relationship with him. So this Christmas, let us remember that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to move it along to Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many or for others. So these two, these two guys, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, James and John. And depending on the gospel, either his mother brings the request to Jesus or the disciples themselves say it. But regardless, it's what do they want? Well, they want seats of prominence. That's what they're requesting of Jesus. They want to sit at his right and left hand. They want, when Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness, they want to sit in the places of glory. That's what they want. They're seeking self-glory. And they envision Jesus' kingdom to be like every other kingdom that they've ever witnessed or heard about. That that's how it works. Those who are in authority, those who are highest, are the ones who get all the glory and people serve them. What they don't realize is that Jesus' kingdom is entirely different. It's totally different than that. And he says that. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's how it's done. The kingdoms of this world, that's how that works. And that's what James and John want. But Jesus is different. He says, it shall not be so among you, his disciples, or his church. That's not how it's going to be done in his kingdom. No, no, no. Whoever would be first among you. So if you want to seek your greatness, here's what you got to do. You must become slave. Go to the bottom. Must be your servant. And then in verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That the standard of greatness of Jesus' kingdom is how we serve, how we sacrifice, even how we suffer. That's the standard of greatness. Not seeking our self-glory, but being humble. And Jesus was humble. And Jesus was humble from start to finish. And being born in a manger 
is not a glorious place to be born. Being born in an animal stable in Bethlehem, which is not Jerusalem, it's not a huge city, it's got good pedigree, it's where David was born, but really it's, it's not a big town, it's not Rome, it's Bethlehem. And he's born to Mary and Joseph, which yes, they're a big deal now, they were not a big deal then. They're nobody. They're not aristocracy. They're not from the priests. They're not known. They're, they're nothing. And the God of the universe, becoming human, is born in a manger, is born to nobodies. Why? To associate with nobodies. So if you're a nobody, you're in good company, right? Jesus showed the very heart of God, this humble humbleness. That he didn't come with all the pomp and glory that the kingdoms of this world do. He came in a very low way to show what he came to do, which is not to be served, but rather to serve. And how did Jesus serve? Well, he says to give his life, to sacrifice his life as a ransom for many, to buy us, to purchase us with his precious blood. And so, yeah, how did he end his life? Through sacrifice. Dying on that cross. So from start to finish, his, his whole demeanor is one of humility. He showed his kingdoms about sacrifice, love. That's what he showed. And so Jesus he came to proclaim this good news of the kingdom, to seek and save the lost. And we enter into that kingdom because he sacrificed and gave his life. And then we're going to move on to the last one. It's found in the fourth gospel. Gospel of John. 10.10. 10. Jesus came that we may have abundant life. He says this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief is. Just about destruction. But he came. He says, I came. That they may have life and have it abundantly. This is what he came to do. He came to give us life. In Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned through our sin. That's what we've accrued, death. We live in a world of death. Our sin has caused death. The wages of sin is death. That's not where the verse ends. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he came to give us. We deserve death. We earn death. But the gift of God, and of course Christmas, everything, you know, we talk about gifts all the time. What did, the greatest gift, what did he give to us? He gave us life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this eternal life that we're talking about here is not just long time of living. Like, I'm going to live forever. Sure, that's part of it. But it's a quality of life. It's what we were created for, what we were meant for, what we were made for. And Jesus defines what eternal life is in John 17, 3, when he says, says, eternal life is this, is to know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you see. 
is that this relationship with God is what we were made for. If he's the author of life, if he's the source of all that is good in life, that means to have a relationship, to be near to him, is to experience the abundance of life. To be far from him, to not be in a relationship, is to experience death. And we were created to know God and to have life. But our sin separated us. And so what Jesus came to do is to bring us back into relationship. And this abundant life begins now. If we have a relationship with God, you, you have this abundant life. And it, and it keeps going on. And we have a hope beyond the grave. And Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us. And all creation from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have a hope, we have a future life, a life beyond the grave, this abundant life that Jesus came to give us just never stops. So this Christmas, let us remember the one who came to give us that abundant life. Well, I said there was four, but really there's five. It says bonus verse on your outline. Well, you know, see, Advent has four candles, but oh, wait, there's a fifth one in the middle. It's the big white one, and it's the Christ candle. And that's the one that really binds them all together. It's the one you light on Christmas morning. But today, we're going to be looking at a fifth verse because that's the one that binds all the reasons that we just went through together. Why did Jesus preach the good news? Why did he seek and save the lost? Why did he give his life as a ransom? And why did he come to bring us abundant life? Well, it's found in our bonus verse this morning, the classic, John 3.16. Jesus came because of the love of God. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is why God became human. It's because of the love of God. And this idea, you can talk about the love of God for, for eternity, and we probably will. And you'll never get to the bottom of it. It's fathomless. But that's the point. It's to leave us in awe. It's to leave us in wonder. To bring us to worship. Like, who, who is this God of a, immense love that he would do all of this for me who did not deserve it? Yeah. That's the amazing love of God. That he would do that much. As that song said, leave his eternal throne of glory to be born in a cradle in the dirt. Who would do that? Who of us would do that? Well, the good news is God did that. Because he's much more loving than any of us. And that's what brings us into worship. It's because this amazing God of love. And you see, this love is why we continue this mission, why we still proclaim the good news, why we reach out to the lost, why we give generously. If Jesus gave everything, then we're going to be a people of generosity. We're going to help others grow in their relationship with God to experience that abundant life. So Jesus came with the mission, and he leaves us all with that same mission, that mission that's motivated by love. And so, again, the main point is that God became human to save us from sin, unite us to himself because of love. 
Well, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially on Hallmark, about Christmas spirit and all this, you know, Christmas joy. And it's like, what, is that, what does that mean? It's just like fuzzy, warm feelings when you see these beautiful trees, you know. Those are great. Being around family, laughing, presents, those are all great. But for us, as believers, we have something far greater. True joy is to see our wonderful God to see why God became human, to save us, to unite us to himself because of his amazing love. That's what truly brings us that Christmas joy. And to spread that love, to spread that joy to so many who need it. And not to be like, look at this tree, but to say, look at this God and how amazing he is. Well, this morning we get to spend some time in communion together to partake in this sacred meal. And the goal of our soul, the reason why we were created in the image of God, the reason why we exist at all, is to know our amazing God, to have a relationship with him. And communion tells us how this relationship was brought back because our sin had separated us from that relationship. And the consequence is death. But the good news is that through the death and resurrection of the eternal Son of God, we can have that restored relationship. And so we, we look at the elements this morning of the bread and the cup and knowing through the bread, which represents his body, That's how we were brought into relationship in the juice this morning representing his blood. And that he was raised from the dead to prove that he is the resurrection and the life. And though we die, we will live. And so we eat this meal together in faith, believing, not in the elements themselves, but believing what they point to, which is our amazing Savior, who died and sacrificed his life knowing that through him our sins are forgiven. That is an act of faith. That we believe that Jesus paid for every sin that we have done, are doing, will do. He's paid it all. And that our relationship with God is secure, not in our own merits, but because of what he did in his sacrifice. And so no one eats this meal in pride. This is a humbling meal. Because we don't enter the kingdom of God without the sacrifice of the eternal Son of God. And we eat this meal together as one. This is what unites us. We we eat it with one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one Christ whose one body and blood was poured out for all of us to unite us as one family. This is what makes us a family. So let's partake in communion together. I will read from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All of you, Take and eat.
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All of you, take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, the word Advent means coming, right? And we celebrate this season of Advent because we look back on our vantage point at the birth of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. But I love this passage that Paul is looking to the second Advent of Jesus when he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we pivot now and we look towards the second coming of the Lord. And just like the Old Testament saints of old, we pray, we long, we hope, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, is our prayer this morning. And just like God promised and he fulfilled it when he came that Christmas day 2,000 years ago, he will come again. So I'm going to end, we're going to end with a song, but I'm going to give a blessing from 2 Corinthians 13. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week and this Christmas season. To him be the glory forever and ever.